Welcome to Intelligent Edge Yoga, yoga conversations for smart, compassionate practice with Catherine Ann Flynn. I'm Catherine. Hi, podcasters. This week's episode is not for you. This is for your dad, your partner, your sister-in-law, your sister, your boss. This is for the people who you feel would like yoga and have not tried it or have only tried it once. And I want to give them a bit of information to help them, to help them try it and help them stick with it. Before we talk about why you might benefit from yoga and why you might want to practice it, I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview of the yoga scene. There are many places that you can practice yoga. I teach in what we call yoga studios. So they are places that are devoted to the practice of yoga. And often they have what are called drop-in class schedules. And drop-in class schedules It means essentially that, that you can drop in without commitment. If there are 40 classes on the schedule, you can pick one uh, or two and attend them irregularly if you choose. These studios operate by selling memberships, just like a gym, and then you can do as many classes as you like. They often sell uh, class cards, so you can buy 5, 10, or 20 class passes, and that typically brings the price down. So if a drop into a yoga studio is $20 plus tax, then when you buy a 10 class card for $150, that brings the cost per class down to $15 per class. Studios will always want to point out that memberships are the cheapest way to practice uh, yoga. So if you go to X number of classes a week, it'll bring your cost per class down to X number of dollars. But you might not know if you really want to dive into three classes a week until you've done it for a little while. So lots of studios offer introductory weeks or months. I highly recommend doing an intro week or month and then starting with a class card to see if regular practice is for you. The benefits of regular practice are high, but you also want to, you want to set yourself up for success. You don't want to spend a lot of money with a membership and then not take advantage of it. Studios will also occasionally offer pre-registered class series But some studios operate just on these. And what that means is you would commit to six weeks, eight or 10 weeks, depends entirely on the teacher and studio offering them. And you would go specifically for that class for six weeks in a row. So Thursdays at 5 p.m., that's your class time. You'll pay a set amount to do that. One of the cool things about pre-registered classes that you can't get with a drop-in studio is that there's more predictability to the class often because the teacher knows who's coming. They know what their mobility and their interests are. And then that way you can grow together as a group. Whereas with a drop-in class schedule, it offers students flexibility in terms of their scheduling but it means that teachers are consistently responding to seasoned practitioners as well as brand new practitioners. 
You can often practice yoga at your gym. Many gyms now have yoga studios integrated into them. And it's a convenient way for many people to run on the treadmill and then go to a class afterward. It's also increasingly popular, at least in my community, for home studios to be cropping up. So I know people who offer uh, those pre-registered classes that I mentioned, but they offer them in their little home studio uh, or in a condo community room or places like this. And the benefit to classes like that is that if you're someone who struggles with being in a crowd or you really like having a personal relationship with your teacher, then smaller classes would be a good fit for you. It's also a really nice place to be able to ask your teacher questions since they are directly facilitating your enrollment in the class. Whereas with studios, depending on the studio, you may not necessarily have a, a more personal relationship with the teacher because it's often staff at the desk. But if you're someone who likes to come in and be a part of community, but doesn't necessarily want uh, to have that conversation with a teacher, studios are a great place. You'll notice that so far I've only spoken about places where you can practice yoga with a teacher. And obviously I'm a yoga teacher. I have a vested interest in ensuring that yoga teachers are paid and continue to be employed. However, I really feel that if you're getting started on the yoga journey, it is best to experience a yoga class. Yes, there are many, many, many free resources on YouTube and the internet and, and go get them. They're out there. Uh, free yoga uh, into Google, I'm sure will get you many a yoga class. And there are online uh, subscription services where you can pay a monthly fee and practice with people uh, with high production values and really thought out classes. The challenge with these types of class is that you don't get the, first of all, you don't get the cohesion of community energy and community energy is motivating. It helps us stay focused. It helps us continue. It helps us discipline ourselves to actually do the practice and it's motivating and it's also calming. So for example, to record this podcast, I initially had two very sad looking brown and white dogs in here because I'd been out for the morning and they really wanted to be with me. But I set the parameters for what we needed to be able to do during this podcast recording and they could not meet those parameters. And so I had to kick the dogs out. And if I had somewhere else to record the podcast where I didn't have two sad dogs staring at me, I would go do it there. So whether it's your dogs or your partner or your children or your neighbors, those things are a lot easier to keep at bay if you are in a place devoted to the practice of yoga. Speaking of the practice of yoga, what will you need to begin a yoga practice? Yoga mats are now readily available even at the grocery store. The other day I was checking out uh, from one of the big brand stores and there was a pile of yoga mats on sale because it's March now and I guess everyone has uh, slowed down on the yoga mat purchasing since January 1st. You can get them at places like Costco and Winners. Yoga mats are a dime a dozen. You can pick one up for very little money. 
the kind you pick up will end up dictating how you experience your practice, but you wouldn't know that if you're a beginner to yoga. Most of the mats uh, that are for sale for not a lot of money, we call them PVC mats or sticky mats. You'll know you've got one if you're looking at it and it's sort of a texturized uh, surface, kind of like a series of little bumpy squares. And whenever I demonstrate on someone's mat in a class or a workshop and they've got one of those mats, I'm always reminded of how much harder that person is working because when you sweat on that material, your hands slide and depending on the kind of yoga you're practicing, you might end up sweating. So you have a couple of options. Of course, I don't think you should necessarily go out and buy a very expensive yoga mat that's going to be easier to stay on. You can bring a small towel and dry your hands as you practice. You can bring a towel. And what people actually find to be of service to them is they spread out a towel and then they pour some water where their hands are because the cotton towel will absorb the sweat from your hands so much that it actually becomes slippery itself. So they'll pour a little bit of water at the top and bottom of their towel where their hands and their feet are going to go. And that makes it a bit stickier. Of course, there are so many yoga products out there. There are special sticky mats. There are special sticky towels. There are sticky uh, gloves and socks that you could purchase if you wanted to. But I think it's, it's, let's do it on the cheap for a little while. And then if you want to buy the fancy stuff and you're really committed to it, then go ahead and invest. Now, the kind of mat you have also dictates your comfort based on what is touching the ground. So when you are on hands and knees, you probably want something where you are going to have a relative amount of grip and your hands aren't going to slide. When you are putting just a knee down, like a low lunge, uh, then you probably want something with a little bit of cushioning to it. And again, there are expensive yoga mats that have better cushioning, but you can also put a folded up towel or a folded up blanket uh, midway up your mat. And then that way, when you step a foot back, you can put a knee down and you don't have to purchase something special for it. Many yoga studios will have blankets available in the studio room and they have them there for different styles of yoga where you might get a little cool during the practice and so you can cover yourself with a blanket. These are free for you to use as well as straps and blocks. Now there's a really unfortunate rumor going around, not among yoga teachers, but among yoga students. And it's that using props, which is what we call the bolsters, which are these long cylindrical pillows, blocks or straps for our practice. uh, it, It makes it a lesser practice. And that just is a fundamental misunderstanding of what the body needs and how the body develops its flexibility and its strength and its range of movement. That conversation is a really deep one for another time, but trust me when I say that anything that diversifies your practice, which means that if you can do a pose one way, 
do it that way. But if you can do a pose a few different ways, then take the time to do it a different way every once in a while. So diversity is really good for our practice, but we often describe blocks and straps as making space. So sometimes they help us engage our muscles properly. Sometimes they help us find balance properly. And sometimes they bring the ground to closer to us. And sometimes they bring our hands closer together for us. So they're creating space for us. And so you'll often see people using a strap or a block when they can't reach either the ground or hands together. And this is where the idea that props are a lesser experience. Unfortunately, in that situation, you cannot jump ahead uh, to the flexibility required to join your hands and have it be good for you. Particularly because whenever I see students trying to do these these, uh, high flexibility required movements, it comes with a lot of strain and stress in their bodies and their minds. And isn't that why some of us are showing up is to reduce stress in our lives? So go with the props. And then once you've gone with the props, send me an email and I'll take some time to explain to you why they're so necessary and why even strong, bendy people like me still use props in their practice with glee. Which brings me to finding a teacher and finding the style of yoga you want to practice. So I mentioned that I'm, I'm strong and bendy. That's a very relative thing. There are people who are much stronger and much bendier than I am. And I did not arrive to the scene either of those things. I started practicing yoga because I had injured my right knee running. My patella, the bone that forms your kneecap, had pulled completely to the right side of my leg. And I'd tried a number of things. I'd tried acupuncture and physiotherapy, and they'd done the ultrasound therapy and a number of other things. But my mother, who was a yoga teacher, uh, and thus as a teenager, I had no interest in doing yoga. uh, She finally said to me the magic words, I'll pay for it. And so I went and I did a couple of private yoga classes with one of her teachers. And really what drew me to this woman, who was, it turns out, an excellent teacher, was that she was stylish. thought, oh, I respect you. (laughs) I'll listen to what you have to say above my own mother, because that's the nature of, of teenagers. And... So I did these yoga classes and she gave me a little routine to use. And the routine that she gave me did for me what all of these other expensive therapies couldn't do. And so I got into a routine that rehabilitated my knee and my hips. And now I haven't, I can't remember what knee pain feels like. But I can definitely remember what segueing into public yoga classes felt like. I was heavier than I wanted to be. 
and I did not know the poses. They hadn't, a lot of them like downward facing dog and tree pose, the standing balance, things that are now used to advertise yogurt. None of this had made it into the mainstream culture just yet. And so I was unfamiliar with what was going on. I was uncomfortable in my body and I had a really chaotic mind filled with a lot of judgment. And so I practiced yoga for a while and I struggled. I distinctly remember crying in a couple of classes. I remember feeling angry at the teacher. And those are very common experiences. Sometimes teachers will say things like, are you getting angry with yourself? Are you getting angry at me? How are you projecting on me? And I think that that's an interesting conversation and one that we should have a little further down your path. However, sometimes we are projecting on the teacher. Sometimes we are in a crappy mood and the practice stirs up something within us. One of my teachers always says that the poison comes out first. So you're practicing and and it stirs stuff up that it's not attractive. Sometimes it's really ugly. And sometimes it doesn't. You know, lots of people come to yoga and the poses that they do are not challenging. Maybe they did gymnastics or dance as a kid or they're just really bendy and athletic. The practice of yoga has many, many opportunities to stir you up if that's what you're looking for. Sometimes it's not particularly skillful teaching on the teacher's part. I have had many moments that if I could do over, I would. We're human. We sometimes say things that are not generous of spirit. We sometimes say incorrect things. The important thing is that you find a teacher who resonates with you. And that puts a lot of pressure on the student. If you end up listening to the rest of this podcast, you'll hear me say in another episode that when people say to me that they've tried yoga, it's a little like saying I've tried food. There's just so much yoga out there to be had. And if you're scared of it, if you're nervous about it, then Chances are, if you go in and have one bad experience, it might dissuade you from trying again. But I would never want to be judged on a single class. So if you're going to try a teacher, consider trying them twice if you have the opportunity to, maybe in giving them a little bit of space in between. But also seek references from people that you respect, find out where they're practicing and who they're practicing with and why they like practicing with that person. And try a smattering of different things, especially in different studios. Lots of studios tend to teach variations on a theme because they have a niche that they excel at and then they hire people who can facilitate that niche. This is not universally true. Lots of studios offer a diversity of yoga experiences, but you're going to have to include that in your research. There are teachers who emphasize the anatomy of movement. You know, here's what's moving and this is what it's responsible for. And this is, you know, if we improve this or that about it, here's what it will do for your happiness. 
And then there are people who emphasize the philosophical aspects of things. There are people who include more breathing practices, people who include uh, much more of the spiritual aspect of yoga. Now, it's a very popular thing when introducing someone to yoga to say it's not about the spirituality and it's not a religion, you know, it's just stretching. It is definitely not just stretching. There's lots going on and it's often, mm, I want to say a little more athletic than a lot of people consider if we're just talking about a general well-rounded yoga practice. I think that saying that it's strictly non-spiritual is a little disingenuous. I feel that it would be a bit like churches saying we are a center for bake sales and then as they're handing you uh, your cookie saying, by the way, we just want you to know that there was this guy named Jesus and this is what he had to say. But keep in mind that people have attended religious communities throughout history without a prerequisite level of spiritual belief. You know, you can go to a church without believing uh, some specific tenets of the faith. And the priests and the ministers, uh, they are definitely not saying you have to believe this thing and you have to be on a path to being as committed to the spirituality as I am. They're there to facilitate your spiritual inquiry, which probably looks different from theirs. They're there to facilitate community. Heck, so many churches now offer yoga in their basements. That's another great place that you could practice yoga. So while you can attend a class, you can attend one of my classes and you might not necessarily hear me speak about something spiritual. I'll probably talk about how sitting at a desk has done this or that to this particular musculature and why this activity might feel challenging, but is ultimately very beneficial for you. But just because I'm teaching something that is focused on providing you some quiet in your day, helping take care of your body and get more skillful with being in your body doesn't mean that I can't facilitate a spiritual experience for you. I'm not saying that everyone is having an experience of the divine when they come to my class, but I don't think that having an experience of the divine requires a lot of conversation about it. Many people are shocked to find out that they came to stretch their hamstrings and ultimately they left feeling like a better person. My friend Dallas and I, you can hear our conversations in earlier episodes. We used to joke that we did yoga to be 17% less of a jerk. But that's ultimately what we realized after we were practicing yoga. There's someone I know who once gave me the most dude explanation of yoga when I found out that he'd been practicing for a long time and I didn't know. He said, yeah, the problem with yoga is that once you start, it's really hard to stop because you find out you were living with low back pain and you weren't that nice. What I'm trying to say is that there's a lot about yoga and about yourself that you will discover if you do it more than one time. 
So what kind of yoga should you practice? It really depends on your preference. All of us have a gateway practice. The practice that I did for years that got me started on the path is not what I'm practicing now. And that's totally okay because all the skills and the practices that we do in yoga, they're really just tools in a toolkit. I now shape and choose my practices based on the physical and mental outcomes that I know they will produce. But until you know what the practices are and what their effects are, let me give you a little rundown of the yoga field. The word Hatha yoga has been used to essentially describe a well-rounded class, something that probably includes yoga poses, maybe some yoga breathing, and some shavasana, which is essentially lying down and relaxing at the end of class. Some people will build this as meditation time. Some people will simply allow it to be mindful relaxation. Again, it depends on the teacher. The challenge with the term is that it's so uh, it, it's just so encompassing that one teacher's yoga class could be really very active under that umbrella, and someone else's could be really gentle. Based on your particular needs, so whether you're coming with an injury, whether you're coming with specific considerations that really do need to be taken into account, like chronic mental or physical health conditions, especially if you're medicating for them, you need to find a practice that's going to allow you to get your feet wet in the yoga world uh, without you know, really revving you up or depressing you. The best thing to do is to, again, get a referral, talk to a friend, or talk to the staff at a yoga studio. That is one of the the places that uh, can offer you quite a bit of insight because the staff will know the teachers. Now, I highly recommend that, especially if you have some specific considerations that we need to be careful with, that you call or go into a couple of different yoga studios because yoga is a tough business. You know, even if a studio is really glossy looking, the margins are not great. You know, it's, we have to work really hard to keep these things going. So they're always interested in getting you to come in and try their studio, but their studio might not be the best studio for you. So I highly recommend calling around and getting referrals. There are types of yoga that incorporate a lot of movement to them and lots of strengthening. And just because a practice has lots of strengthening and lots of movement doesn't mean it's necessarily inaccessible to you. You need to find out if the teacher teaches basically a tricky class. Sometimes they'll say an advanced class. And that usually means that there's a fundamental understanding of the postures. The transitions are difficult, like they require a high level of flexibility and strength to execute. Now, if you live in a small community, it's probably not as challenging because the teachers probably know the, the diverse population that they are working with already. But especially once you get into larger communities, the studios can be even more niche. So a studio might be a really strong athletic studio and thus attract really strong athletic people. 
You just need to find out by speaking with them. And of course, the bigger the city you go to, the more niche it gets. So if you're listening from California, proceed with caution. There are styles of yoga that are very still. One is called yin yoga. And so it's very stretch based. Now there may be yoga teachers listening who are going to get a little feather ruffled if I'm recommending that because behind the scenes, they're saying people need to move. They need to mobilize. It's got to be strength-based. And I agree with them, but being still in the body helps people be still in the mind. And again, a diverse practice is a good practice. So some still classes, some movement classes, I do agree with a teacher who would say that if you're going to do one class, then a well-rounded class of diverse movements, you know, some standing postures, some crouching postures, some prone postures, some stretching, some quiet. I think that's the best thing for the most number of people. But again, it's entirely up to you, whatever gets you in the door. So there are some quiet practices that are stretchy, like yin yoga, There are some that are very still and quiet with very little stretch called restorative yoga. And this is very therapeutic for a busy mind. Uh, But for someone who struggles with being still, it could possibly be a little torturous. (laughs) So just know what you're getting into. And there are lots of smart teachers who have built classes as yang and yin, so both active and passive, or fusion or a blend of different things. There are classes that focus on uh, using tools. So I talked about yoga props. They get more diverse. So there are things like yoga tune-up, where you can use what are essentially uh, fancy lacrosse balls for rolling around and doing uh, self-massage. You can do classes that focus on strength and some teachers integrate some weights. You can do classes that teach you how to meditate. There are classes where there's more chanting and chanting is surprisingly stress relieving if you've never tried it before. The moment you raise your voice in melody, so to a tune rather than just speaking, your blood pressure actually decreases. But most yoga classes tend to simply close with the sound of Om. And I always invite my students to participate either with their voice or their ears. So it's not mandatory if you're initially uncomfortable with that. So now you know that I started practicing yoga because I had a bad knee and that I cried along the way. And eventually I became a yoga teacher. But here are a list of things that yoga's done for me that it might do for you. It has increased my flexibility, my ability to touch my toes, to reach overhead. And I have a lot of company in this benefit. People often practice in a way that implies that they do want to do fancy yoga poses, but they only practice once a week. And really their goals are to be able to tie their shoes into their 80s or hold their grandkids and maintain their balance when they walk on ice. And these are all really good, realistic goals for a yoga practice. Yoga has also increased my strength. I'm stronger. I can 
hold a plank position, which is the top of a push-up. I can do a push-up, which I did not have the guts to try until I got strong at yoga. I was the kid who was smarter than she was physically gifted. And I was really, really nervous about being teased. And I had a really mean inner dialogue. So yoga made me stronger and more flexible and then gave me the skills to go try things that made me even stronger. Yoga improved my digestion. I will not go into detail because you don't need to know about that, but I didn't know that digestion needed to be painful. Now that I have reduced inflammation in my body and I move with more ease, through a physical wellness routine, things just generally move with greater ease in my body, which is a big bonus. I have met some of the coolest, most interesting people of my life. My students always say that my list of the best thing about yoga is getting a little too long, that not all of them can be the best, but truly the people that I've met through yoga have been the best part of it. I sleep better. I am calmer. I think more clearly. I show up in my life in a way that is kinder and better to myself and to everyone around me because of yoga. Yoga has helped me make some of the hardest decisions of my life to live a happier, smarter life, one that aligns with what I say I value. And all this mindfulness has gifted me with a skillfulness to tackle things that I did not want to tackle before, both in terms of personal development and physical development, but also just in terms of organizing my life. There were lots of things that I kept at an arm's distance because I just wasn't that good at them. And yoga has helped me confront things that make me uncomfortable whether it's a yoga practice or my taxes with greater ease and a lot less anxiety. So yoga has reduced the suffering and anxiety in my life by helping me calm down and acknowledge when I'm acting in a way that is not healthful and not skillful. There's a Sanskrit term, svadhyaya, And it's study of the scriptures or self-study. So, you know, if you decide that you're going to do some yoga further down the path, uh, I might tell you more about that. But it's a good place to end because whether it is how you digest food or how you digest information or a limited range of movement through your shoulder that's impeding your golf game or preventing you from carrying your kids with ease or where you're holding back in your relationships or in your life, this is what yoga does for us. It helps us get to know ourselves. There's a teacher I really respect, Jason Crandall, and he says that yoga is the journey of the self, through the self, to the self. And that's just a beautiful way of yoga helps you get to know you in a way that's kind and healthy. So if your partner or your employer or employee or mom sent this to you and you listen to the whole thing, thank you. And even if it hasn't persuaded you to do yoga, 
Perhaps it has given you an insight into why the person who recommended it to you is so nuts about this practice. Maybe they've shared it with you. Maybe they haven't. But at the very least, they probably don't have low back pain anymore because of it. And at the most, they feel like a happier version, a more authentic, calm version of themselves. Ultimately, that's what this stuff can do for you. It's really the ultimate bait and switch. Come for your hamstrings. Leave a better person. Best of luck with the yoga journey. And if you're looking for information to support you on that, go take a look at previous podcasts or the website. And if you have any questions, feel free to email me at Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N at intelligentedge.yoga. Okay, podcasters, send this one to your friends, your family, share it around, put it in the company newsletter. Thank you so much for those of you who have left reviews or shared this to your social media. I really do appreciate you helping get the word out there. That's it for this week. Namaste for now, yogis.